1: Just like that, the second hour is here. Outkick 360 continues from Music City and across the Outkick Network. First hour flew by. That's hunting. right. That's right. That's a good sign. Um, Chad, your quick thoughts on this. Yes. Uh so it, it just this is just par for the course. So Tennessee finishes behind Alabama yeah. in the final AP ranking. Of course they did. Butch Jones and Greg Schiano put Alabama at number five and Penn State at six. The lowest Tennessee appeared on the ballot was eight. That was where North Carolina State's Dave Doran and Nevada's Ken Wilson voted the Vols.
2: So uh, let me go through that list. Uh, Ken Wilson we had on the show, yeah, right? Yes. So I don't know that he sees a lot of Tennessee football. Butch Jones <laughs> obviously not. an ax to grind and worked at Alabama for a while after being at Tennessee. Dave Doran was about to get the Tennessee job, maybe, and then things got weird in the end and uh, did not get the job. So maybe an axe to grind there. I just – I love all the tweets from people that cover Tennessee that said, you know, if only there was a way to settle this debate about Tennessee and Alabama with an on-field performance in a game that we could just say, oh, that's the tiebreaker.
1: Well, but the other thing, too, is for all of those – oh, it's – you know, Tennessee voted below Bama. I don't know why, if you're a coach and you're like this, you're, you're you're there's no value to the vol season. I don't know why you're propping up Bama in the same regard, right? Like the stiffest competition.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's just uh, you're allowing yourself to buy into the notion that, which is true. Uh, Alabama only lost two games, both on the road in hostile environments and very close. And Tennessee just played terrible in yeah. one game. But I don't understand how the the two close losses and losing to the team that you're now ranked ahead of is some, somehow trumps a team that just had one inexplicably bad performance all year. And when you look back at a 27-14 loss at Georgia, doesn't look that bad on a day where Tennessee really just didn't play that well offensively. I mean, Georgia played great, not taking anything away from them, but looking at that head-to-head now, Georgia clearly the best team in the country. Tennessee missed two or three deep shots in that game they normally hit. That could be the difference in, I'm not saying they're winning, but that game looks a lot closer if they score two more touchdowns on a couple of plays where they had a chance. Uh, Perception for the
1: Kentucky basketball program, not good. It's at a a low right now. Uh, and with more, we were joined by Jack Pilgrim, Kentucky Sports Radio. Jack, what is going on uh, in the Commonwealth that has led to such angst for Calipari's program?
0: Losing. Uh, I think that's something that uh, Kentucky fans have not been used to and they will not accept. Uh, it's something that we saw a 9-16 and season two years ago. We saw uh, the worst uh, postseason loss in program history the year after that. And then now... Uh, A season with the reigning national player of the year coming back to anchor your offense. You have a Bob Cousy Award finalist uh, leading the way at the point guard position. Uh, You have uh, national title expectations, final four expectations, and you have whatever they're putting out on the floor right now. Ten and six uh, is just not excusable. They uh, don't look like a competent basketball team. They don't look cohesive. Uh, And uh, yeah, it's leading to about as um, frustrating uh, atmosphere in Lexington than I, I can remember personally.
2: Jack, I almost expect you to open with a sign that said, please go to Texas in front of you. I saw you guys tweeting about that last night with the, the fan being ejected. It is incredible when you run through the recent history with Kentucky that John Calipari has a job now. When you think about the expectation level at Kentucky, he's really been given a pretty long leash. I, I know the national championship helps, but, I mean, Jack, you know better than anyone at Kentucky, Final Fours are an expectation. You know, winning a national championship every so often is an expectation with that program, and and he's not coming close to that right now.
0: Yeah, he's built up a lot of equity from the first you know ten years that he was in Lexington. Uh, the run that he went on four Final Fours in five years to start things up, I think, created uh, like you said, a very long leash that uh, unfortunately is getting shorter and shorter by the year, uh, by the years, and uh, you know, I, I think. They gave them the benefit of the doubt with the COVID year. They gave them, uh, you know, the benefit of the doubt, saying that last season, uh, at their best, they looked like a national title contender, and they should have been that uh, throughout the year when they beat Tennessee. Unfortunately, uh, I know you guys like uh, favor Tennessee uh, at home. We looked like a team that w- was un- unstoppable, and then injuries kind of got in the way. And then, you know, nothing will ever excuse St. Peter's, but there was always kind of a built-in excuse, uh, no matter how things unfolded this year there's nothing. You have all the pieces, you have, you know, a new coaching staff that Cal likes and uh, everything, you know, you have the veteran leadership, you have the the freshman talent, you have, uh, you know, the length, the defense, the the size, all of the stuff that uh, should on paper result in a national title contender, but it's just not coming together the way that everybody's expecting. So uh, I think now is when the impatience is really starting to come to a head. And I think that's where you're getting the Cal to Texas rumors and the signs at
1: Rupp Arena. Jack Pilgrim with us covers the Wildcats for Kentucky Sports Radio. Is NIL part of the issue? Uh, Starting to hear, you know, some uh, murmurs of not that money's the issue, but allocation of funds to certain players over others. Is there anything going on behind the scenes in that regard?
0: Uh, I don't know if that's necessarily fair uh, to to say it's individual things because they do a lot of team NIL deals uh, to begin with. Uh, Oscar Sheway is a very unique case because of the restrictions that he had going into it. And I think a lot of it uh, he deserved back then that I think is kind of a makeup for his inability to get NIL, NIL last season. So I don't necessarily see that. But I think it's definitely, you know, more so how they're allocating time and, you know, where the meetings are and, and the, uh, you know, where the commercial shoots are and showing up maybe a little bit late for practice, things like that. I don't think it's the actual money itself, but more so uh, just the cohesiveness instead of going, you know, doing team dinners and and, you know, having the camaraderie and going out to movies and doing things like that. Uh, a lot of it is they're going to do TV shoots and you know commercials here and there. So uh, I do think that's been a part of it, but I, I do think that there's some some you know locker room concerns right now.
1: Just just being there on a daily basis is is Coach Cal deflecting criticism off his team more than he normally would and putting it on himself, or is it about the same?
0: It, 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 that's kind of a funny way to put it because there a lot the way he words things uh, a lot of the times is. You know, he says, well, here are all the things my players did wrong. They, you know, they didn't rebound well here. The defense wasn't good enough here, but don't, don't, you know, don't blame my players. Don't, don't attack my players, attack me. So it's kind of an indirect way of, of saying, well, I'm kind of attacking my players and, uh, you know explaining where things went wrong in that regard but still putting it on himself about where things went wrong last night was a big accountability push for him he said, look this is not where things need to be this is not an acceptable loss look south carolina is a terrible basketball team there is nothing acceptable about how things unfolded last night so uh, I at least appreciated that he went out of his way to say what happened last night cannot happen we uh, can't be the gold standard of college basketball if you lose those types of games so uh it kind of an indirect way yes he's the accountability is there but not without some some digs uh, leading up to that
2: you know you have a season like this with all this expectation and uh you're not delivering on it now if you're Kentucky there's plenty of places you can point the finger o- on that roster let's talk about the players jack who who's been most disappointing to you because that's the big surprise to me is this would just be a typical year if it was just five freshmen starting and you know they're going to get better and better as the year goes on. But there's veteran leadership on this team and it's they're not playing connected at all with the two veterans in the rest of the roster. So who's been the biggest disappointment up to this point uh, on that roster?
0: ironically enough i think it is your national player of the year i think it is oscar sheboy this is a kid that uh, you know was the uh, unbeatable he was the most dominant presence in college basketball last season i've never seen anything like it with my own two eyes shattered every single record that kentucky basketball had to have every you know national basketball record uh, he shattered he comes back And I I don't know if this is, you know, when you come back as a national player of the year and there are expectations, you know, internally, I need more shots. If if I'm going to come back to this program when I could go pro as a national player of the year, I need X number of shots or X number of minutes or, you know, I need to be taking threes instead, you know, expanding my role to look better. Uh, Unfortunately, I think that has created a dynamic where everything revolves around him. It is an Oscar-centric offense where the ball has to go inside to him before anything else can can happen. There's no ball movement outside of that to lead up to, you know, cleanup opportunities for Oscar that made him so dominant last season. Uh, It's actually Oscar as kind of, you know, trying to turn him into like a Kofi Coburn style of player. And that's just not who he is. He is not this this fundamentally sound, you know, elite footwork, you know, soft touch around the basket guy that you can – throw it down low to him and let him just take games over. That's, you know, he, he dominates the game in other ways by attacking the glass and being that elite cleanup specialist where you can jack up threes on the outside and have him, you know, magnet hands down low for for easy putback dunks and layups. That was what made him so special last season. And they've gotten away from that, unfortunately. There's not enough outside shooting. And and unfortunately, I think they're not engaged on the perimeter because they know that, you know, you're going to toss it inside to Oscar Sheboy and he's going to go to work for 20 seconds. Uh, And if you do get the ball back, it's going to be, a you know, four seconds left in the shot clock for a a heave, uh, a prayer there at the end.
2: You know, it's weird to talk about must-wins in in January, but we're reaching a critical point right now with Kentucky basketball. You mentioned Tennessee. Uh, I think Kentucky's got – this has got to be sort of not a last stand, but a big stand in this game. And uh, a chance to get an enormous road win over a top-five team this weekend. I know Rick Barnes talked about it and said, we know we're going to get Kentucky's best in this game. That's the expectation Tennessee is entering that game, that they want this one bad. Uh, What do you think about the chances of of Kentucky rallying the troops at this point, even at an early stage in conference play, and playing great on the road against what's been a really good Tennessee team?
0: Sounds great on paper, but nothing about this team uh, indicates that they're anything close to being ready for that competition. They are one and four uh, in in quality competition uh, games outside of Rupp Arena. Uh, And the one win they had was against a mediocre team out, uh, a Michigan team out in London. Nothing about uh, their team camaraderie, the chemistry, how they, you know, present themselves in, you know, last season uh, is the greatest example. They go to uh, Lawrence to to take on Kansas, a top five team at the the time, and they're laughing at the crowd. You know, they're getting into it and uh, you could tell they were mentally engaged. They were locked in, ready to beat the heck out of Kansas, and that's exactly what they did. Went out and, and beat them by 30 on their their own home home floor. Nothing about this team uh, indicates that they are ready to make that type of statement. I thought kind of the same thing against Alabama. Okay, yeah, you struggled a little bit earlier on the year. You didn't get to make a statement in, uh, at Gonzaga or in the Champions Classic against uh, Michigan State or in the CBS Sports Classic against UCLA. Those opportunities were there, and then they crumbled. Uh, I thought they were going to get that same chance down in Tuscaloosa against Alabama. Absolutely the the worst performance we've seen up to that point. And then we get what we saw against South Carolina. So uh, I, I like your all's optimism and, and how it sounds on paper, but uh, I can't say that I share the same.
2: Yeah, look, I don't know what's going to happen. I, I, I do just think that this is so big for Kentucky. They've got to play this game with their hair on fire mm-hmm. on Saturday because they need it really, really badly right now. Jack Pilgrim, Kentucky Sports Radio, is our guest. I know there's no consolation for Wildcat fans in that state when the team's not doing well, but is there a slight consolation that Louisville is maybe the worst college basketball team in the history of major college basketball this season?
0: Uh, you can't even really enjoy that because Kentucky fans <laughs> love Kenny Payne. And, uh, you know, Kenny Payne was, true. Uh, uh, you know, Cal's right-hand man forever. So even a guy that, that Kentucky fans have respected forever, I personally, he was great to me when he was here and, and being on this beat, doing recruiting, things like that. I love him to death. And, and seeing him struggle in this way, it's, you know, it's not even a consolation prize in that regard. So uh, yeah, It's uh, even that is, is not a great position to be in. There's no nothing really to hang on to right now if you're looking to be optimistic. Yeah, there are eight quad one opportunities to close out the season. You know, it's a tough SEC slate. You, you can steal a couple if you want to, but uh, as of right now, they're on the outside looking into the NCAA tournament. I think that's all Kentucky fans care about.
1: Jack, is there still beef between Calipari and Stoops? And what has been the interaction between the two over the last seven plus months since we were discussing this storyline? So I was actually down
0: in the Bahamas with Cal in that little very select pool of, uh, of reporters where he brought up the, the football school versus basketball school. And, and I talked to Cal after that. And, and you could tell there was a lot of remorse like, dang, I, I did not mean to word it the way that I did. And and if I could get my words back, I would definitely word it a different way. But I think there was almost a, the way. I think he kind of, you know, internally thought it was maybe a little childish on Stoops' side of how he handled it, and you know, bringing things to the media and retweeting things and saying uh, we haven't lost four straight postseason games and things like that. You know, I think he kind of made it into something that it didn't necessarily have to be, and I think every chance that Cal had to apologize the way I think he wanted to initially, I think Stoops kind of took that and, and Cal said, "All right, well, if that's what you want to make it, then that's what we're that's what it's going to be." So. Unfortunately, I don't think things are great even still. I think it's gotten a lot better because they have to when you have uh, two programs like that, that you know, Kentucky football uh, competing a whole hell of a lot better than they did before. Um, you have to have at least some camaraderie in that regard. You can't have two programs and coaches fighting against each other. Uh, and I thought DeAndre Square, Kentucky's standout linebacker, put it best yesterday during the loss uh, in basketball, said, I think this is all karma for those conversations. Kentucky had an underwhelming uh, season on the football field, and then the basketball season is having the, the season it is right now. So uh, I think uh, he put it the best, that the, the, both programs are suffering the karma from that stupidity.
2: Yeah, which is the last thing you want, is any you know other athlete in another sport commenting on losses and uh, yeah. not really taking glee in it with that tweet. But you know what I mean. You don't want infighting with that. But in facts are facts, Jack, it is a basketball school. John Calipari was speaking truth when he said he should, probably shouldn't have said it, but he's speaking the truth. Um, You know the the pulse of the fan base there. Where's the fan base side when that feud happens? Did they get mad at, at Mark Stoops and his reaction to it? Were they mad at Calipari? How did the fan base break down with that?
0: I think they saw it in, in a sense that, look, Kentucky football is, I mean, if you go from where it was 10 years ago to now, uh, they're at least making, you know, right on the cusp of at least making some some noise in that SEC East battle. And that's something that, uh, you know, you talk to the coaches on the football side and, and all they see is Atlanta. They want to get to the SEC championship. That's That's all they care about. And when you feel internally that close to that, Mark, And then you have the leader of the other side of the aisle saying, yeah, uh, but they'll never be Alabama or Georgia. You know, it does. it, It does hurt, you know, from a recruiting perspective, because then you do have the Alabamas and Georgias of the world going, look, they don't even have the internal support. From the basketball coach, you know they're poking fun at you. Do you really want to go play for a basketball coach? You want to go play for a basketball school? Uh, so I think that was the frustration on, on the the fan side of things, where it's like, look, that that comment didn't help anybody at that certain time. I understood what Cal was trying to say because at that time he was trying to get a multi-million, you know, hundred million dollar practice facility built on campus, and he was saying if Nick Saban asked for that practice facility uh, on his campus, he'd get it. Why is it that the Kentucky basketball, the equivalent Alabama football, Kentucky basketball? Why is it that when we ask for something, we're not getting it? So that was the point. He wasn't even trying to drag football into you know, the UK football program into it, but it ended up being an indirect jab at, at his own uh, you know umbrella of the UK athletics family. So it ended up being bigger than it what it needed to. But yeah, I think the the frustration was pretty uh, significant on the Kentucky fans side of things.
1: Jack, I know whenever you uh, you joined us, you didn't think we'd bring up the the summer storyline, but I just had not heard anything on that in months. And I'm fascinated by it because both are there. They're both struggling, you know, towards the end of the season for Kentucky, and then certainly right now with uh, hoops as well. So it's uh, it's it sounds like it's not going away. And <laughs> now we wait on the next uh, the next serve, is, the next return serve.
2: Is Mark Stoops getting what he wanted in NIL? Is is that part of it getting done with the Kentucky football play, uh, team? Because I see some of the defections on the roster. And it makes me think that maybe they're not getting what they need in NIL for the football program. Am I wrong?
0: So they're doing a fantastic job of of collecting the funds necessary to get the Devon Learys of the world, to get the Barry and Browns and, and uh, you know Dane Keith. Those guys happy. Uh, Kentucky's going to get their star talent and the money in their pockets. So that that is absolutely going to happen. The issue is uh, the funds right now are are enough for the top ten, top fifteen ish types of talent. But when you have a Unfortunately, Justin Rogers, who was a former five-star talent on paper, has not lived up to that. He, he had a, a pretty successful season this past year, but he admittedly is not a, a star. And, and unfortunately, Deion Walker uh, came in as a five-star, fringe five-star talent. And he did look like the immediate freshman five-star talent that they thought Justin Rogers was going to be. He's going to get that money. So uh, right now, the issue is they have enough up top, but it's it's the the core group uh, where you get from 15 to 40, or you know the, the the key role players that you need on your roster to keep around to build the depth and you know build the overall talent uh that stuff is, is is not there but the but the overall star talent is so I think that's they're inching closer but they're definitely not where it needs to be.
1: Jack Pilgrim from Kentucky Sports radio giving us great perspective on the basketball program thank you man this is great we appreciate it and uh let's catch up soon chances are the storyline's not going away anytime soon i'm um, welcome anytime appreciate you guys thank you <laughs> thank you man there's jack
2: Pilgrim. In, in college basketball kentucky's going to be a story good or bad i mean if they right if they go into knoxville well, and knock off tennessee this weekend and start a run that's going to be a story this, and if this downward spiral yeah. continues it's an even bigger story because if this thing goes into february and the writings on the wall that they're not an ncaa tournament team then we're going to be talking about john calipari's next job in austin if he's lucky, again, I, I don't. I'm not hiring John Calipari if I'm Texas. If I'm yeah, not mean, hiring a failed head coach, it's one thing if they get in the NCAA tournament, turn this around, and he does the Tubby Smith and gets out before he gets fired. It's another thing, just say, yeah, we'll take the guy Kentucky just fired that's had three. Yeah, he would need to bounce. They, Kentucky had a good season last year in a bad tournament, right? Yes. So it was a bad exit. But they did have a good season. The year before was not good, and now this one's not good. That's two out of three if this continues. I don't know if I'm Texas that I'm hiring that at this point.
1: Coming up, we've got some updates across the NFL with head coaching uh, opportunities, interviews, including at least two for Sean Payton. We'll tell you which two. And, um, of course, the Saints are granting permission for Sean Payton to be interviewed. News with Lamar Jackson, news with Tom Brady and more, plus who's going to be calling plays in New England. Someone new. Details next on Outkick 360.
3: What's up everyone? It's Nick Wright and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. Glad you're with us. Outkick 360, 3 to
1: 6 Eastern, each weekday across the Outkick Network. Chad, we're on the the hoops discussion, so let's work in the AP Top 25 and the rankings right now and... Houston remains number one, followed by Kansas, Purdue, Alabama, and Tennessee. That's your top five. Your biggest takeaway from the top five, and let's work in the top ten. There's Texas still right there.
2: I find it amazing that we're having this big discussion, even in a previous segment today, about Tennessee and Alabama for Mm. four or five in football, and they're fourth and fifth in basketball. Impressive year for Alabama and Tennessee athletics for – the top two money-driving sports in college sports, football, men's basketball. Uh, My takeaway is this. You look at those top two SEC teams. Alabama has a road win at number one Houston. Tennessee beat the crap out of Kansas on a neutral court in the championship of a a tournament in November. Those are two great wins. They they still remain great wins. They will be all year for those two teams. Other takeaways of teams that I've seen so far this year – UConn is national championship level good and tough. I really like that that UConn team. Watched them a couple times this season. Uh, Davey, who uh, just inexplicably is a Duke basketball fan and a Tennessee grad, which I'll never fully grasp or understand, he even said this about his Duke Blue Devils, though. They're ranked 24th if their name wasn't Duke. They wouldn't be in the top 25. I concur. I don't think they're very good from what I've seen. Um, outside of that, Missouri's a big surprise. Yeah. To be in that top 20, Jamie Dixon has done a great job at TCU to be in the in the top 20. Uh, North Carolina, I believe, ended up knocking off Virginia last night, who's 13th. What? So that's going to change. Virginia came back and won, so Virginia won it. Never mind. Um, so Virginia, I uh, have it, not seen a lot of them, though, this year. Chad, is this about where you thought
1: Auburn would be? I took mm. a flyer on them on a,
2: uh, a preseason, like, just the odds. And I think this is the low end they should, yeah, they for should, what Auburn is going to be this season. They should be top 15. I, I think their ceiling where they are right is right around 10. Mm-hmm. You know, A year ago, they were ranked number one in the country for a time, and they had a, a top pick on their roster and a one and done. They don't have that level of talent or star power this year with one guy. So where a year ago, their ceiling was number one in the country, I think this year their ceiling is probably 10 I think their floor is right at the edge of the top 25. So 21 is about right. Yeah. Probably about the average of those two of what I would think Auburn should be at this point. Um, Miami's really good, too. That's a team that I watched a little bit. Arkansas has had some bad injury issues and should be better. I also think that with Eric Musselman, his teams get better over the course of the year. They're going to be fine. They got a big game tonight with Alabama. That's a huge matchup. Alabama and Arkansas tonight in the SEC. That's number four versus number 15. But I think Arkansas is going to be a team to watch as, as we get to March. Some NFL headlines,
1: and let's start with Tua Tonga who has been ruled out of uh, this weekend's matchup for Miami against Buffalo. Skylar Thompson uh, scheduled to be the starter for the Miami Dolphins on the road. And I was going through Armando Salguero from OutKick, his, his uh, post on social, and the injury list – for the Miami Dolphins is lengthy. Uh, Just uh, a a handful of those who are not participating in practice this week for the Dolphins. Uh, Teron Armstead, Bradley Chubb, Melvin Ingram, Kendall Lamb, Raheem Mostert, Tua, and Teddy Bridgewater was limited in practice with the the knee and then the right finger issue that he has. Others on the, the injury report Jalen Phillips, Jalen Waddle, Cedric Wilson, Jeff Wilson, Greg Little, and Skylar Thompson has an ankle issue, but he's a full participant in practice. This is not the way. Like, pardon, the, I mean, they're limping in literally to the the playoffs, and they're the biggest underdog of the weekend, thirteen and a half currently, and that really took a huge jump up on the Buffalo side of things in Vegas whenever. To a, had not cleared concussion protocol.
2: It would be one of the most improbable playoff upsets of all time if, if this Dolphins team. Well, based on went to expectation Park too. And, and yeah, won. for Buffalo. Yeah, I too. mean, it may, may be the biggest. I mean, I we'd have to go back and look at point spreads to see mathematically what the biggest upset would be, but this this would be right up there. Given expectation for Buffalo, given the injury situation, and playing with a backup quarterback for Miami, it's a bad game. <laughs> Yeah, it's just a bad. Let's not talk about that game again. <laughs> well, I mean, it's let's move on. To it's other relevant ones.
1: though with the injury report and, and also well, it's Lamar-
2: relevant in that Buffalo is going to kill them now. I think they would have won anyway, but um, this is just not going to be competitive. That 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 Dolphins team that I, I watched a lot of that game on Sunday with Skylar Tops they kick a field goal to go up nine to six and they, they, uh, well, they went it on they well they win at eleven to six. And uh, I was talking to Tyler, one of our producers, who bet on the, them covering, and a lot of people won there because that gave them the cover on that last play of the game, safety, that Miami got to make it 11-6. to six. It's a team not worth discussing. Now, what is worth discussing is after the season ends on Sunday for Miami is how do we look back on Mike McDaniel's first season? You brought this up. The way they went all in around him. Yes. And then what happened? I give the guy a pass. I think getting yeah, the playoffs this I year with Tua in and out and the concussions and everything else, in no way did he do a bad job. I mean, we can sit and nitpick of, well, we made all these investments. I think and he impressed them. We should be better than a this seeding yes. you know, as a seven seed, and we should be better in winning playoff games. Well, that's great, but you don't have a complete roster or anything close to it, and you're yeah. playing with a backup quarterback. So. That has to be factored in when you evaluate the job that he's done. I think he's done a good job in year one. Agreed. Given the circumstances. Agreed. They they need a better
1: run run game, run support, but that's the next layer they have to add to this this team moving forward.
2: But you're right in that, you know, the ownerships can look at it as look at all the money we spent mm-hmm. and then look at the return on investment. The comeback is yes. Let's go back with a healthy roster next year and see what happens. Rookie seventh round. Pick let's see. Let's see what happens. Uh, you, what you saw early in the year when you, we've got guys healthy and what we could be. Remember that win over the with Dolphins over the Bills early in the year in the heat in South Florida. Let's think about that team before the injuries started happening and see if you can have a little bit better luck with injuries the next year and go into that season and see what you can do. Well, think about so. We were discussing last week, by the way, DeMar Hamlin released
1: from the, the Buffalo uh, uh, hospital where he was being monitored. He's home. He's headed home, which great news, uh, nine days after uh, what happened on Monday Night Football in Week 17. Or week eight, Yeah, Week 17, excuse me. Um, but both of those teams, we're talking about Buffalo and Cincinnati. We were discussing how do you break the tie And how do you determine home field advantage? Who gets the number one seed? Turns out it's Kansas City. And we know if it's one of those teams involved, it's going to be the AFC Championship at a neutral site. But both teams basically have, uh, based on injury reports for who they're playing, have the best possible scenario considering that they didn't get the bye. Buffalo has Miami. And Cincinnati has, as of right now, the Baltimore Ravens, without Lamar Jackson. Again, not ruled out, but not also confirmed to play as of today. Initially, the report was he was going to miss about three weeks with this knee issue. It's been six. And doubling the recovery time in a year where he is trying to win over the idea that he deserves the guaranteed contract, just like we've seen with Deshaun Watson. To me, the only way Lamar Jackson ends up getting that is taking the Baltimore Ravens on a Super Bowl run. That's what it comes down to now based on the time missed and where Baltimore is in the pecking order of the AFC. If he's not playing, huge for Cincinnati. And the fact that we haven't seen him in a while, I mean, there will be some rust. With this offense, but it will improve because the offense has not been good with Huntley,
2: and it's looking like he's not going to play. I mean, what what percentage is that he plays in this game? I that mean, it's a, I mean twenty. I don't know. It feels I mean, like miraculous right now if he plays, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's been double I mean, the, the amount interest, of recovery time. So the, I wonder if there's been a setback. If there's been something else, you know, uh, some players don't feel good on the knee versus you know, you know, it's a. I don't know, but it's uh it's a weird dynamic considering what's at stake, and he's likely getting tagged instead of getting the, the contract extension.
2: I love Cincinnati. I love their chances of making a run and not just getting to the Super Bowl this year like they did last year, mm-hmm. but winning it. And I'll say all those things and say that if Lamar Jackson plays in this game, this is maybe the best and most interesting game of the weekend. And they could lose in round one at home. Well, and their defense, Baltimore's. But it's defense gonna take can, Lamar Jackson playing.
1: Yeah. And Baltimore's defense is really good.
2: Yeah, I just so, don't think it matters with Huntley at quarterback, though. No, it has I mean, their defense could be great, and Joe right. Burrow's not going to make the huge mistakes that's going to give them a chance to score on defense, which it, that's what it would take with Huntley at quarterback to, to pull the upset. But if Lamar Jackson plays in this game, absolutely Baltimore could go to Cincinnati and win.
1: The Ravens, though, surprisingly, you look at their schedule, they won four of their final six games, which is crazy. Considering that Jackson wasn't a part of, what, five of them? Um, The schedule helps them. You know, they were playing Pittsburgh. It was all low scoring. Pittsburgh, uh, Atlanta, and um, they lost to Cincinnati and Pittsburgh down the final stretch of the season, the final two weeks of the season.
2: Hutton, in 2021, we were in College Station, Texas. Yes. Watching Zach Calzada play heroically Mm -hmm. and lead the Aggies, over Alabama in a huge upset. I was on the field when it happened. Fans stormed the field. Amazing moment for Zach Calzada. You were with? I was with Billy Lucci, and our guy, and John Football, as you. I like to call him. Yep. One Johnny Manziel. Um, young John Football was, <laughs> was alongside. So from that moment, Zach Calzada, battled injury. Wasn't great from that point on yep. for Texas a and He was Zach Calzada. Transfers to <laughs> Auburn. Does not play at Auburn. And from Auburn has gone to, wow, Titans Amy in the house. Look at that. Hello. Hello, Amy. Amy Wells. Love to see it. Um, Goes from Auburn to now, it's official. This was reported yesterday by Pete Thamel, but Zach Calzada makes it official. Hutton Zach Calzada went from Texas A&M Aggie starting quarterback beating Alabama to playing at Incarnate Word. That is his next destination. Wow. That is what we call leveling down. I mean, now Incarnate Word puts up a ton of points. What? They, their offense. I, I just know I've seen crazy scores with them where they've scored 70 and 80 points they in some a, of their games. They have a great NIL program there. I mean, who knows? It's in San Antonio. You're in a major market for Incarnate Word. But uh, yeah, I just found that fascinating. Sort of the JT Daniels approach. But at least he went from AM to Auburn, mm-hmm. very like programs. And thinking he's got a chance to play at Auburn doesn't. Now he's at Incarnate Word. Calzada's, this is not to make fun of Zach Calzada. I mean, he said because he provided us with a great sports viewing moment. Will, this is just to say that that's where he is right now.
1: But no one's going to remember Incarnate Word. You remember the night that they took down Alabama. That's the forever Aggie, and he's the, Zach Calzada. Yeah, he's the storyline of that game. Getting it, the drives in the fourth and then overtime to, to make it work, or the fourth quarter, excuse me, to make it work.
2: Now he gets to be the story of incarnate word when they upset Stephen F. Austin this year. Yes. In another game, that will be just as memorable as when A&M beat Alabama at night. Um, So the New England Patriots,
1: Bill Belichick met with Robert Kraft, Patriots owner. I call him Bobby Kraft. Bob Kraft. He loves it when you call him Bobby. Um, They have come to the conclusion that there will be a new play caller. There's going to be a new... Person over offense. I nearly said offensive coordinator. I don't know if Belichick will allow us to call anyone offensive coordinator. They should. This opens the door for Bill O'Brien. Don't you think?
2: Yes. So Bill O'Brien should have... If Bill O'Brien's not hired as a head coach somewhere, which I think it's weird that he's not getting bigger looks. And maybe he will and get some interviews and end up having a shot somewhere. He was pretty good with the Texans. I mean, we, we always remember the end. The same goes for Harbaugh. Harbaugh should be right there with Sean mm-hmm. Payton as the most sought-after NFL head coach. He was 44-19-1 as an NFL head coach. Everybody should be after him. I kind of feel the same about Bill O'Brien, given his track record and those division titles with the Texans. His problem was he was a terrible general manager. He's a good coach, good offensive coach, terrible GM. So I, I'd be surprised if he doesn't get a chance at a head coaching position But if not, New England, Mm -hmm. right here in Nashville with the Titans, makes a lot of sense. He's going to get a good spot as an offensive coordinator. The whole Alabama thing just feels like, and he said it, as this two or three years he's been, I think two, two, it was always kind of a two-year commitment. I mean, I think he said outright, I want to go there for two years and then figure it out what I want to do next.
1: He's finishing with Bryce Young, right? He's got that done, and now – it feels like he's about it's, to jump back to the it's NFL. It's almost like
2: a Mormon mission trip. I yeah. think Mormons go away for two years. Yeah, recovery. This was Bill O'Brien's Mormon mission trip to Tuscaloosa to work for Nick Saban for two years. I'll give you two years, Nick. <laughs> two years is all I'm going to do, and then I'm going to go do another job. But this was his equivalent of that mission trip. It was a great finish. Uh,
1: I, don't, I don't know how the Patriots ended up going into Week 18 with an opportunity to make the playoffs. Saint, by the way, for Pittsburgh, who finishes with a winning record, 9-8, and eight, and Tomlin... After, was it, were they two and six, two and five, um, and finished nine and eight um, as a organization. Uh, Belichick is exactly five hundred since Brady went to Tampa Bay, and the thought is with Mac Jones, you have to have to bring in an offensive mind instead of Matt Patricia, and anything else that they're doing to uh, set him up for the best course. To have some success. What they've done was odd. It was confusing. It was what this is Bill Belichick doing that. Really? And there are some candidates out there, Chad, since uh, Josh McDaniels left that make a lot of sense. O'Brien leads the path for that. And that's the best course for Mac Jones. It has to be.
2: Absolutely. And just the veteran leadership of Bill O'Brien, who's been with so many different guys over the course of his career and has molded some great quarterbacks, obviously. Yeah. Tom Brady being one of them. Um, here's where Bill Belichick has gone for me from a perception standpoint. I don't care that he's the coach on the other sideline anymore. Never thought I'd say that. This guy had a dynasty with the Patriots. I don't see any coaching advantage when he's going head-to-head with anyone else in the league. And for years, I'd look at it and say, well, watch out for this one because it's Bill Belichick and his game plan against this team. The last time I can think about a game where I left it saying, boy, that's a Bill Belichick game. A year ago in a horrible wind, rain, cold storm in Buffalo where they don't throw the ball and they win with defense and Josh Allen looks terrible in awful conditions. And I thought, boy, that's Bill Belichick being Bill Belichick and Bill Belichick and his defensive game plan won that game. Now I watch Bill Belichick, and I think he's just some old coach on the sideline. There's no advantage. There's no disadvantage either. It's not for me to say that I think that the other team's at some huge advantage against him as a head coach. Hutton, he looks like just another guy. Well, but the, uh, there's, it's no coincidence that Tomlin and
1: Belichick got their teams into playoff position. Both had a chance in Week 18 yeah. despite slow starts and really poor play. Um, you know the the other coaches are fired after three years. These guys can they constantly if they're not winning, they're in contention. And I I think they really set themselves up for a uh, a uh, 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 sliding down the the hill that they're trying to climb whenever they made the decision that they did with the offensive side of the football this past year. So uh, you have a you, you invest in Mac Jones. He it, they literally stayed put in the draft, and he fell right to them. And you go with defensive and special teams minded coaches to run that. It, side it of was the a, it was
2: a cute move. It was someone who thinks they're the smartest guy in the room. Yeah. And I'm here to tell you, Bill Belichick is a smart football guy. He's won a lot of games. He is no longer the smartest guy in the room, and this season proves it. It was dumb. Everything they did this year was dumb. With that whole cutesy. Yep. We're not going to have a coordinator. and No, you're not reinventing the wheel. Go hire Bill O'Brien and make this thing. T- <laughs> Let, let's stop this. Let's stop the charade and hire Bill O'Brien.
1: Later, we'll discuss Tom Brady and the, w- the assumption that he's playing another year. But we could also see him play his final game. I don't think that's the case, but it's in the back of my mind as they take on the Cowboys. We will also give you an interesting NIL deal. That's next on Outkick 360. Coming up, Carlos Correa actually has a team, believe it or not. That's in nine minutes. Um, And a a really interesting NIL deal. Dearness Collin, the Popeyes meme kid, who, like, if you told me what he looks like now, is this kid from, you know, the commercials, no way I would believe you um oh i think he looks exactly the same you do (laughs) yes when i saw the side by side i I was like he
2: just looks like a bigger version of the kid
1: i I don't see it uh he is getting the uh he's now getting an IL through popeyes uh freshman offensive lineman though at division two lake erie college 6'1 330 pounds no surprise there
2: if you are a teammate at lake erie college and I don't know what he's making, and I know, But let's say I mean, it's a, it's say it's a lot. I hope it is for Darnus' sake, and good for Papa. because he got it's a great, it's a smart, strategic partnership. I love it. It's what this is. What name, image, likeness was yeah. created to be? Is this with Darnus Collins? It's terrific. It is commerce. It is free markets. It is going out and marketing in a smart way around someone who had an impact on your brand because of a social media viral thing. Uh, I love it. But I just find I think the dynamics at Lake Erie College in the locker room of, "Hey Dearnest, are you buying burgers tonight or are you going to take us to Popeye since you got all this money?" I mean, he's got to be the only one at Lake Erie College oh, with any NIL. I money. would think so, yeah. Right? For sure. The rest of the guys are like, "I mean, does he get Popeye's chicken for free? Is like a lifetime it's like, of chicken?"
1: Like Jalen Hyatt with Hyatt Hotels, like he gets everyone something.
2: I mean, it's not going to be good for uh, your your arteries. But I think a lifetime supply of Popeye's chicken sounds pretty damn good. You just go you whatever know? you want? Yeah. Like, I, you know, Dearness is going to have a family one day, and he's going to decide it might be pretty easy for me to go and put some food on the table by cashing in on my lifetime supply of Popeye's chicken.
1: Where are you on Whataburger versus In-N-Out? Nashville's getting In-N-Out Oh, soon. It's,
2: it's no contest. I agree with you on In-N-Out this. Out burger In-N-Out burger is In-N-Out. far superior. What a burger is the most overrated product I've ever had, based on the hype, and the hype to me hurt my experience with What a Burger. But we, you and I had What a Burger to me is a churched up Sonic burger. Yeah, it is. But it, I, I can't really. I mean, it's to, Sonic is better than What a Burger. It's not good. It's, it's not it's, bad. It's the equivalent. It's of it. a burger. Like I don't. It's a fast food burger. I don't eat it and think, boy, that was really bad. And I don't eat it and think it's special. In and out when and maybe it's because we're on the West Coast or in Phoenix well, or wherever when we eat it. But when I eat In and Out Burger, I think this is really good. Yeah. I agree. Uh when you think of chicken, you go to Popeye's? Popeye's is good. You know, growing up uh in Middle Tennessee, KFC was really the only option. Yeah. Mrs. Winters. Now it's Zaxby's. Does Mrs. Winters still exist? Zaxby's though. But Zaxby's is- are tenders. They don't have <laughs> fried chicken. When I think well, yeah, of fried right. chicken, I think breast, thigh, leg.
1: Yeah. You know, but I'm they, thinking the uh, bucket. But they, Zaxby's has really gone on the cheap side of their servings. Hutton,
2: we could they spend, have a, reduced everything we could spend an hour on how we pay so much more for food and get so much less. less. The tender size. Are we better off for that? Not this for paying, not paying just, more, but this less. This is not just Zaxby's. If Zaxby's wants to sponsor the show, please do. It's not just you, <laughs> everyone's tender size has shrunk 2x over the last year and a half. It's crazy.
1: Wednesday's headlines next and then Clay Travis joins us on now, kick 360.